everyone. Welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold. The confusion stops here. We got a lot to do today. Great show for you. Uh, lined up talking about the Blessed Virgin Mary and the crisis in the church. Going to look at uh, Our Lady of Good Success a little later on. We're also going to look at uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux and some other things. So want to buckle up for that. Right now, I want to begin where we left off last week. I was talking about, um, well, a little bit about this really, truly prophetic article that was published by, or posted by Father Regis Scanlon back in August of 2019. And he was talking about the locution of Pope Leo XIII, which was um, a conversation between God and the devil, a la the book of Job, wherein the devil told God that given the power and a hundred years that he could destroy the church. Now, I recommend you read the article for yourself, and I'll put the link in the show notes again. But the point is that Father Scanlon identified October the 13th, 1917, as the beginning of Satan's hundred years. He points out that this day in history was both the beginning of the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia and the miracle of the sun at Fatima. So on the same day, Satan starts his 100-year offensive against the church, and the Mother of God offers the remedy, which is to say to stop offending God, to uh, pray the daily rosary, and to make sacrifices for those who are on the path to hell. And all this was corroborated by uh, Our Lady of Akita's message to Sister Agnes Sasagawa on October the 13th of 1973. And Bishop Ito of Japan said that the message was identical to Fatima. Now, <clears throat> by this reckoning, the 100 years should have concluded in October, October 13, of 2018. However, Father Scanlon discounts the extraordinary Holy Year of Mercy that was declared by Pope Francis from December 8th of 2015 to the end of November of 2016. And Father points out that ever since Holy Years were first established back in the 1300s, that there had never been one dedicated strictly to mercy. And uh, as you may recall, uh, this is unprecedented in the Church, and Pope Francis even appointed official missionaries of mercy. These were clergy empowered to forgive sins that are usually reserved to the Holy See, like lifting excommunications. It was a, a tremendous opportunity to be reconciled with the Church. And you might also note that it was during this extraordinary year of mercy that one Donald Trump defied all expectations and was elected president. And subsequently, he personally brought about the best economy in the United States in 60 years. And I say personally because he was relentlessly and viciously opposed every step of the way. But even after years of persecution by the Washington establishment and the mainstream media, even with the tyrannical restrictions occasioned by COVID-19, by the, the 1st of October of 2019, he still had approval ratings uh, that, that could only be dreamt of by his opponents. But if Father Scanlon's correct, then the 100 years given to Satan to destroy the church ended on October 13th of 2019. And so Father Scanlon said in August of 2019, two months in advance of that, that we must pray that the Pope and bishops would publicly and by name oppose the sins of the flesh, which Our Lady of Fatima said are the major cause of souls going to hell and are so rampant throughout our society. <clears throat> he suggested that if the bishops would do this and if the people would pray the rosary, then perhaps mankind would wake up and repent. 
And if not, then we could look forward to a chastisement of biblical proportions. Well, we know what didn't happen before October 13th, 2019. So what happened after? Well, the most contentious and fraudulent national election in United States history, the emergence of the COVID-19 virus, uh, which by January 2020 was declared a worldwide pandemic. It was an all-out assault against anyone who holds traditional values across all the major social media platforms. And there's nightly rioting in several U.S. cities, hadn't stopped yet. And of course, by March of 2020, all of the uh, restrictions instituted supposedly to keep us safe from COVID-19, but that have arguably already killed more people than the virus itself. And then not to mention the virtual surrender to the world by the bishops of the Catholic Church. I mean, not even the Black Plague stopped the public celebration of the Holy Mass. Now, can you imagine if I had come to you in October 2019 and said that within less than a year, concerns over a virus from which more than 90% of those infected survive would lead to the closing of the Catholic churches worldwide? That there, would, there was going to be no public Easter celebration anywhere? And that by Christmas, only 5% of Catholics would have returned to Mass? You would have thought it was insane. You see, all of this represents a, a diabolical disorientation on an unprecedented scale. But really, we're just at the bottom of a long, slippery slope. Now, for decades, I've been hearing how the, God is going to the, punish the United States. God will surely punish the U.S. if the Supreme Court uh, rules in favor of homosexual marriage, which, of course, it did. Or if Catholics continue to vote for pro choice candidates, which, uh, of course, they do. We just elected the most pro-abortion president in history. Or if we don't overturn the HHS mandate, or if we don't protect religious freedom and so on, which, you know, which we didn't and we haven't. <clears throat> but the fact is that God has been punishing the United States for some time. And the way things are going, it doesn't require the gift of prophecy to see that it's going to get worse before it gets better. You just need to compare recent history to salvation history. Look at the first chapter of Romans. St. Paul demonstrates that the pagan philosophers, through human reason alone, had proven the existence of the one God, but they would not worship him. He says, Although they knew God, they did not accord him glory as God or give him thanks. Instead, they became vain in their reasoning, and their senseless minds were darkened. While claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for the likeness of an image of mortal man or of birds or four-legged animals or of snakes. See, those pagan idols represented things like money and sex and power. And modern people also prefer to make and worship their own images and appetites rather than glorify the one God. The apostle goes on to demonstrate the consequence of such idolatry. Therefore, he says, God handed them over to impurity through the lusts of their hearts for the mutual degradation of their bodies. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and revered and worshipped the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. <clears throat> Therefore, God handed them over to degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and burned with lust for one another. Men did shameful things with men and thus received in their own persons the due penalty for their perversity. See, 
the fact that God allowed the Romans to fall into these deadly sins of the flesh and their dreadful side effects, that was their punishment. And likewise, God has permitted our society to fall in precisely the same way and for precisely the same reason. The question is, having permitted society to descend into these shameful sins as punishment for our pride, what comes next? Furthermore, St. Paul says, since these people did not see fit to acknowledge God, he abandoned them. He abandoned them over to their depraved ways of thinking and all types of vile behavior. As a result, they are filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and malice, reveling in envy, murder, strife, deceit. They are gossips and scandal mongers, and they hate God. They are insolent, haughty, boastful, ingenious in their wickedness, and rebellious towards their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know the just decree of God that all who practice such things deserve death, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, can you imagine a better description of what's going on right now? There's no question that God is punishing the United States by allowing us to self-destruct. And there's no question that his punishment is just. The only question is how much worse it'll get before it gets better. Now, 400 years ago, Our Lady of Good Success uh, prophesied that in our days, prominent Catholics would fail to use their influence to defend uh, and restore the Church, and that the hierarchy would virtually fall silent precisely when they should have spoken out. Now, having said all this, I want to say this is no cause for alarm for the faithful. God's just cleaning house. And he's only cleaning house because he's a loving father. As St. Paul says in his letter to the Hebrews, God only chastises those whom he loves. God treats you as sons. For what son is there who is not disciplined by his father? At the time, all discipline seems a cause not for joy, but for pain. Yet later it brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. So strengthen your drooping hands and your weak knees, Make straight paths for your feet, that what is lame may not be disjointed, but healed. So as we submit to the discipline of our loving Father, let us offer our prayers and sacrifices for the restoration of the Church that Our Lady promised will follow our chastisement. And while we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, may our prayers be most fervent for the Biden's and the Pelosi's, and and the Carries of the world. Those who could do so much good with their power and their influence, if only they would return to the straight path and be healed. And of course, that includes special prayers for the Pope and the bishops and the clergy and religious around the world who need that uh, help from God that we can provide through our intercession. Okay, when we come back, we're going to be talking about Our Lady of Good Success. You know, we just had her feast day yesterday. Going to talk all about that and what she had to say about our present condition and about the light at the end of the tunnel. So stick with us. Matthew Arnold here for No Nonsense Catholic on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We'll be right back after these messages.
Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold. Uh, your internet home for Keep It Simple Catholicism. Yesterday, the 2nd of February, as I sit here, was the Feast of the Presentation of Jesus in the Temple, also known as the Feast of the Purification of Mary, also known traditionally as Candlemas, because this was the day that people would take their candles to church to be blessed for the uh, Feast of St. Blaise, today's feast, and the Blessing of the Throats. In Quito, Ecuador, the Feast of the Presentation or Purification is also the Feast Day of Our Lady of good success. Now, obviously, the Church is in the midst of the greatest crisis in her long history. From mass attendance to vocations to catechesis, by virtually every measurable standard, the Catholic Church has been in sharp decline for decades. Now, you already know this, but what you might not know is that the Blessed Virgin Mary prophesied this sad situation some four centuries ago under the title Our Lady of Good Success. And she offered a supernatural remedy for our current crisis, namely devotion to her. Now, in the early 17th century, Blessed Virgin Mary appeared on several occasions to a Spanish conceptionist sister, Venerable Mother Mariana de Jesus Torres, at the Royal Conceptionist Convent in Quito, Ecuador. On January 16th of 1599, Our Lady commissioned a life-size statue of herself holding the infant Jesus under the title Our Lady of Good Success. And the statue was begun by a local sculptor, but was miraculously completed in 1611 by St. Francis of Assisi and the three archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. Now that's another story for another time. But Our Lady also prophesied about many important matters that pertain explicitly to our own days. She revealed many disturbing details to Mother Mariana about our current situation, beginning in the second half of the 20th century. And we don't have time to to go into it all today. But to give you an idea, she said that the, the sacrament of matrimony would come under attack, especially by iniquitous laws that would facilitate sins against marriage. She said that there will be an almost total and general corruption of customs. And, you know, um, I just saw something the other day where a guy said millions of Americans uh, eat fried potatoes, French fried potatoes, with their fingers every day. He said, culturally, we've sunk below the level of the fork. But I think, you know, there's other corruptions of custom, clearly, you know, in the celebration of the sacraments, for example. Uh, She said that um, their innocence will almost no longer be found in children, nor modesty in women. The effects of secular education will be one reason for a lack of priestly and religious vocations. Corrupted priests who will scandalize the faithful will incite the hatred of the enemies of the church to fall upon all priests, and the sacrament of holy orders will be ridiculed, oppressed, and despised. This apparent triumph of Satan will bring enormous sufferings to the good pastors of the church, and in this supreme moment of need, those who should speak shall fall silent. Now, I don't have to tell you that these prophecies have come true and are coming true still. And if this is the first that you're hearing uh, about all this, I'll point out that Mary also prophesied that this devotion would not become well-known until the end of the 20th century. And I found out about Our Lady of Good Success around 1999. And ever since my first visit to Quito in 2007, I've spent the last 20 years speaking about Our Lady of Good Success all over the United States and Canada, 
as well as South America, Europe, uh, Australia. Tens of thousands of copies of my DVD and a booklet I wrote on Our Lady of Good Success have been distributed. Tens of thousands more CDs and downloads of a talk I did for Augustine Institute, plus countless interviews on Catholic Radio, uh, including one I just did last week on EWTN. And, and I should also mention that I've never asked a stipend for my presentations. Uh, and as long as people are able to get me there and put me up, I've been willing to go virtually anywhere in the world. And the reason is simple. Because Our Lady linked the spread of this devotion in our times with the fulfillment of her final prophecy, the, the only one that hasn't come, uh, been fulfilled yet, which is a marvelous restoration of the Catholic Church. Precisely in her own words, when almost all will seem lost and paralyzed. So even though our situation and Our Lady's message are very grave, it's also a message of great hope. Now, <clears throat> the title, Our Lady of Good Success, I know that can sound kind of funny to the modern American ear. Uh, uh, Our Lady and, and Success, it sounds like some kind of Catholic version of the health and wealth gospel. Uh, but in Spanish, Buen Suceso means good or great event. And the official title of uh, Our Lady of Good Success in Quito is La Nuestra Señora del Buen Suceso de la Purificación. And that would translate literally as Our Lady of the Good Event of the Purification. So the good or the great event in her title refers not primarily to this you know, coming restoration of the Church, but to... Um, the, the purification or the presentation of the child Jesus in the temple, in which Jesus was first offered to God the Father by the hands of the Blessed Virgin, which foreshadowed his offering of himself on the cross and reveals uh, Mary's role as co-redemptrix. Now, according to a, a 2017 letter from the sisters in Quito, they said, and I quote, Mary's role as co-redemptrix did not begin at the foot of the cross. But even at this moment of the presentation, she already acts in this capacity. Moreover, the offering of her divine Son is accompanied with a complete offering of herself. Christ the Redeemer offering himself. The Blessed Virgin, co-redemptrix, Virgin Mother of God offering Christ. The Most Blessed Virgin completely offering herself. This is the greatest sacrifice to ever take place in the temple. And now the sisters see this as a call to pray for vocations to the priesthood and to the religious life, and I'll tell you why. Mary says that when almost all will seem lost and paralyzed, quote, this will mark the arrival of my hour when I, in a marvelous way, will dethrone the proud and cursed Satan trampling him under my feet. Now, this is an obvious reference to Genesis 3.15, when God said to the serpent, I'll put enmities between thee and the woman, and thy seed and her seed, and she shall crush thy head, and thou shalt lie in wait for her heel. This, I believe, is the self-same triumph of Mary's Immaculate Heart that she promised to the children of Fatima. And this triumph consists primarily in the restoration of the Catholic Church. Why? Mary crushed the serpent's head by her, her fiat, by agreeing to become the mother of God. Jesus definitively crushed the serpent's head by his sacrifice on the cross. 
And so the key to crushing the serpent's head today lies in the restoration of the church because the graces won by Christ on the Holy Cross um, are communicated to the world precisely through the sacraments of the Catholic Church, which is his body. But without the priesthood, those channels of grace are cut off. Hence the sisters see the good event of the presentation of Jesus in the temple as a call to pray for vocations to the priesthood and to the religious life. In my booklet, uh, Mary of Good Success and the Restoration of the Church, I suggested that good success might also be understood somewhat more dynamically as a happy ending. So let me ask you, what is the happy ending for a Christian? Well, heaven, of course. But how often is heaven achieved only after much suffering? I once <laughs> asked that question at a talk, uh, and, and an 80-year-old priest in the back of the room said, Always! But suffering, suffering can be good for us. According to St. Hilary of, of Poitiers, who lived through the Arian heresy, he said it's a prerogative of the Church that she is the vanquisher when she is persecuted, that she captures our intellects when her doctrines are questioned, that she conquers all at the very moment when she is abandoned by all. And this is where devotion to Our Lady comes in, because she promised heavenly consolation to those devoted to her. She prophesied, quote, during that epoch, which we're living right now, during that epoch, there will be a great devotion to me, for I am queen of heaven under many invocations. And you may well already be devoted to her under the titles like Our Lady of Lords or Our Lady of Fatima or Our Lady of Guadalupe, who uh, John Paul II made Empress of the Americas or all the countries of North and South America. But I would point out that here in the United States, we have two unique Marian devotions, Our Lady of Good Help and Our Lady of America. And the Queen of Heaven has given us, as lay Catholics, a particular mission through these approved apparitions. First, through Our Lady of Good Hope, is to teach catechism, to teach the faith. And that's our, one of our biggest problems, if not our biggest problems, that Catholics don't know their faith. And through Our Lady of America, to, to imitate the virtues of Mary, especially her purity in the face of the sins of the flesh, uh, to imitate the virtues of the Holy Family, and to be devoted to the indwelling presence of the Holy Trinity. In other words, uh, as Terry and Jesse remind us every day, to, to strive always to remain in a state of grace. And then finally, Our Lady of America is, um, is the patroness of America. It's, it's, the, it's the Immaculate Conception, or Our Lady, the Immaculate Virgin, patroness of America. She's been our official patron since we've had our, our first diocese in, in uh, Baltimore. In the state of Maryland. And so um, it's <clears throat> the Sisters of the Royal Convent in Quito are um, also, they're conceptionists, right? It's the Royal Convent of the Immaculate Conception. And that's who was entrusted with the message of Our Lady of Good Success. So I believe, I believe there's a spiritual connection there, as there is amongst the, the common message of a time of crisis uh, a time of crisis in our days that can only be relieved by true devotion to Mary. And that's no nonsense. Okay, um, in the, our next segment, we're going to actually talk about my very favorite saint, St. Saint Bernard of Clairvaux. 
Now we're going to talk about uh, St. Bernard's writings uh, as the uh, mellifluous doctor, as a, as a doctor of the church, and the great influence that he had on Marian devotion in the church. But uh, before we wrap up this segment, I wanted to mention a couple of things. Uh, number one, we have some more stuff coming up here in, at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We've got a couple of uh, mini-conferences that are in the work right now. We're going to have one in April and another in May. So we're going to give you more details on that as they become available. Just know uh, ahead of time we're going to have a, a couple of Saturdays in, uh, in April and in May where we're going to have some conferences. I know that one of them is going to be dedicated to the Divine Mercy. And we've got presentations from uh, Father Donald Calloway where he's all, uh, actually going to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet and then explain Divine Mercy as well as his journey into the church and another one as well that's in the works. So stay tuned for that stuff and stay tuned for us. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back uh, with lots more no-nonsense Catholic right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I'm your host, Matthew Warner. Stay with us and we will be back uh, right after these messages. All right. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And I want to talk in this segment about my very favorite saint. And if you've been listening to me for any <laughs> length of time, you already know this. My favorite saint is St. Bernard of Clairvaux, the great medieval saint and doctor of the church, known as the last of the fathers of the church and the mellifluous doctor. Pope Benedict XVI uh, pointed out that in the face of the complex and dialectical reasoning and theology of his time, Bernard insists that Jesus alone is mel in ore and aure melos in corde jubilum. That is, Jesus alone is honey in the mouth, song to the ear, jubilation in the heart. The title Dr. Mellifluous, attributed to Bernard by tradition, stems precisely from this, Indeed, his praise of Jesus Christ flowed like honey, unquote. That's flowed like honey. That's what mellifluous means, because uh, Bernard was so very eloquent. Uh, amongst the doctors of the church, Bernard also merited the title of Marian doctor because of his great love and filial devotion to the mother of our Savior, and especially because he desired to enkindle a love for the Blessed Virgin in everyone he encountered. Now, I share Bernard's love and devotion for Our Lady. I can say without hesitation that if it was not for the powerful intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, I would not be Catholic today. It was the Holy Spirit overflowing from the Blessed Virgin Mary, as Bernard uh, explains, uh, by whom I was granted the grace of conversion. And this, I believe, is the main reason that I'm, I'm drawn so powerfully to the spirituality of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Now, it's interesting that Our Lady didn't really uh, so much feature in Bernard's writing as just permeate his entire ministry, and really his entire life. Because even when he doesn't specifically mention her, Mary is always present. Because in, you know, in his many letters to prominent people, in uh, his powerful sermons that he delivered to his Cistercian brothers, whenever he exhorts um, 
his hearers to, to silence or to humility or to purity of heart or to filial obedience. These are not only virtues that dwell abundantly in the Blessed Lady, but according to Bernard, they are all dispensed by her. He invested so much in her powerful intercession that he said, quote, God has deigned that we obtain nothing except through the hands of Mary. He said, Mary is our mediatrix. And he said, we receive the Holy Spirit that overflows from her. So hence the doctrine of the Mary as mediatrix of all graces. And his writings were so influential and, and esteemed by the church that they were incorporated into the sacred liturgy. And St. Bernard also composed many hymns and prayers to Our Lady, including the Ave Maristella, which is the Hail Star of the Sea, uh, the Memorare, Remember, O Most Gracious Virgin Mary, and so on, one of the favorite prayers here at Virgin Most Powerful. And one of my personal favorite uh, songs from the Middle Ages, Daily, Daily Sing to Mary, and, and a host of others. Now, he's also associated with the Salve Regina, the Hail Holy Queen. And there are people who um, think that he wrote the Hail Holy Queen, that he composed that prayer, but he, he actually didn't. Uh, it was composed around the time of his birth by Bishop Adamar, who was the papal legate of the First Crusade. But when St. Bernard first heard that hymn, he was so moved by it that he dropped to his knees and beat his breast three times and said, O Clemens, O Pia, O Dulcis Virgo Maria. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. And such was uh, Bernard's influence that, that as that story spread, his spontaneous words became an established part and a permanent part of the prayer as we say it even today. And it was also Bernard's idea to end the church's liturgical day, that is the final hour of the divine office or the liturgical, uh, uh, the liturgy of the hours, right? So Compline or night prayer. It was his idea to end that with the Salve Regina. And that practice led to the custom of people um, concluding the Holy Rosary in the same way. And in one of his homilies, Bernard said of Our Lady, In you, and for you, and from you, the kindly hand of the Almighty recreates everything he has created. And this is why St. Bernard contemplates Mary, to discover how to receive that restoration from God, to become, as St. Paul says, a new creation. And, and it is through his most eloquent praises of the Blessed Virgin Mary that Bernard reveals the mystery of God and the mystery of man, and especially the mystery of the fiat of Our Lady that enabled the, the restoration of the relationship between God and man broken in the Garden of Eden. It all depended on Mary's answer to the angel, on her affirmation, be it done to me according to thy word. And because of her fiat, that same Holy Spirit who overshadowed Mary um, at the Incarnation overflows from her to enter the Christian soul and fill us with the indwelling presence of God. Now, how so? According to Benedict XVI, here's how he explains it. He says, for Bernard, true knowledge of God 
consists in a personal, profound experience of Jesus Christ and of his love. And, dear brothers and sisters, this is true for every Christian. Faith is first and foremost a personal, intimate encounter with Jesus. It is having an experience of his closeness, his friendship, and his love. It is in this way that we learn to know him ever better, to love him and to follow him more and more. So in other words, it's uh, through a personal relationship with Jesus that we learn to know, love, and serve God, which is, of course, the meaning and purpose of life. But for St. Bernard, there is a, a, a figure of Mary, an image of Mary, that helps us to make our own fiat to God. And that is the Virgin as guiding star. Bernard's hymn, Ave Maristella, Hail Star of the Sea, uh, was a particular favorite of the monks in the Middle Ages who chanted it as part of the divine office. And it's still sung today in the Liturgy of the Hours and in the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary. For Bernard, Mary is the star of the sea. She's the guide for every man and, and the guide for all of Christian history because she is the perfect exemplar of humanity. As Archbishop Fulton Sheen used to say, she is mankind's solitary boast. And Vatican II picked up on this theme in the dogmatic constitution of the Church, Lumen Gentium, where they proclaim Mary to be the model Christian and the model of the Church. So we're not alone in our quest for God. We're not abandoned to the uncertainty of the stormy sea. We have a guiding star in heaven, our Blessed Mother. St. Bernard says, whoever uh, you are that perceive yourself during this mortal existence to be drifting in treacherous waters, at the mercy of the winds and the waves rather than walking on firm ground, turn not away your eyes from the splendor of this guiding star unless you wish to be submerged by the storm. Look at the star. Call upon Mary. With her for your guide, you shall not go astray. While invoking her, you shall never lose heart. If she walks before you, you shall not grow weary. If she shows you favor, you shall reach the goal. And that goal is Jesus. Benedict XVI puts it this way. He said, Bernard had no doubts. Per Mariam ad Jesum, through Mary, we are led to Jesus. And finally, St. Bernard tells us that to, to live and to love as Mary did, we have to pray as Mary did. And in order to do that, we have to be aware of the danger of excessive activity, that there must be a balance between action and contemplation. Uh, Bernard said, action and contemplation are very close companions. They live together in uh, one house on equal terms. Martha and Mary are sisters. I love that because he's invoking, of course, our Lord's words to Martha of Bethany when she complained that her sister Mary had left her to do all the work of preparing supper. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her. So St. Bernard taught that no matter what your state of life uh, or vocation, and that includes those who govern the church, an imbalance between prayer and activity is a real and present danger. He said, too many occupations often lead to hardness of heart, 
they are suffering for the Spirit loss of intelligence and dispersion of grace. Explains a lot. Benedict XVI said this is a message for today. How useful for us is this call to the primacy of prayer? St. Bernard was able to harmonize the monk's aspiration for solitude and the tranquility of the cloister with the urgency of important and complex missions in the service of the Church. And to entrust this difficulty of finding a balance between interiority and necessary work to the intercession of the Virgin, whom he loved with tender and filial devotion. Look, I'll give the last word to St. Bernard himself. He said, In danger, in distress, in uncertainty, think of Mary. Call upon Mary. And so that you may obtain the help of her prayers, never forget the example of her life. If you follow her, you cannot falter. If you pray to her, you cannot despair. If you think of her, you cannot err. If she sustains you, you will not stumble. If she protects you, you have nothing to fear. If she guides you, you will never flag. And if she is favorable to you, you will attain your goal. Which is that personal encounter with our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's no nonsense. All right, when we come back, going to talk a little bit about um, the season of Septuagesimatide. You may have never even heard that before. It's a time of preparation before the coming season of Lent. And we're also going to talk a little bit about some uh, vocations and what the USCCB had to say about that uh, just uh, in the last year. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Lots more no-nonsense Catholic right here on VMPR. Okay, great to have you along with us here on uh, No Nonsense Catholic, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold. And last Sunday was the third Sunday in ordinary time, according to the Novus Ordo calendar. But in the extraordinary form of the Mass, it was Septuagesima Sunday. Septuagesima comes from the Latin for 70, because many of the early Christians used to fast for 70 days before Easter, and their fast was therefore called Septuagesima. Uh, Alcuin of York in the 8th century says the first Christians were inspired to fast 70 days by the captivity of the Jews in Babylon. For as the Jews were obliged to do penance for 70 years uh, in order to merit to return to the promised land, so Christians sought to regain the grace of God by fasting for 70 days. Now, the name Septuagesima is retained to distinguish this particular Sunday, and uh, likewise with the following three Sundays, uh, many Christians beginning their fast 60 days before Easter, hence sexagesima. Others 50 days, hence quinquagesima. Uh, and, you know, obviously, these Sundays are not literally 70, 60, and 50 days before Easter, because, I mean, there's only just seven days in between them. Uh, but the titles were retained for these Sundays to correspond to the old name of the first Sunday of Lent, which is quadragesima, or 40 days. So, and even at that, I mean, Lent is actually longer than 40 days since we traditionally don't fast or abstain on Sundays. And so they're not considered part of the 40 days. Now, this pre-Lenten liturgical season was suppressed in the Novus Ordo Missal, but in the traditional Latin Mass, Septuagesima Sunday uh, until Easter is is, uh, kind of its own mini-season. We... we, uh, 
all the joyful chants, you know, the Alleluia and the Gloria are omitted. The priest's uh, vestments and the altar cloths are um, all violet, just like in Lent. And it's good to know that this season of preparation was especially beneficial in the old days because Lent used to be a far stricter penitential observance. You know, rather than abstaining uh, from meat on Fridays of Lent and fast and abstaining uh, only on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, the faithful were obliged to fast and abstain all 40 days of Lent. So Septuagesimatide provided a helpful preparation for the observance of Lent to remind Catholics that we're sinners, to incite in us true contrition for our sins, and to show us the necessity of um, repentance and penance. And these days, most of us still give up something for Lent. So this is also a time to, to pray a little more and indulge ourselves a little less and thereby be better prepared, better able to keep your Lenten sacrifice. Now, as Lent draws closer, we're going to look at the, some of the customs like Shrove Tuesday and Ash Wednesday, uh, Mardi Gras. But uh, to close today's program, I wanted to talk a little bit about an article that was published on January 27th, 2021, by the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate, and it was uh, uh, promoted by the U.S. bishops. Uh, And it's about the typical men and women religious who professed, you know, made their perpetual vows in the year 2020. It says the typical religious today, man and woman, is 38 years old, a cradle Catholic, who regularly prayed the rosary, took part in Eucharistic adoration uh, before entering religious life. All right. So it's not an army of 38-year-olds. That's, you know, it's an average, okay, so <laughs> factoring the youngest and the oldest. But among the, the findings is that 40 or 24% come from families with five or more siblings, 15 have four siblings, 12% have three siblings, 23% have two siblings. So family is also obviously a factor. Uh, 16% are converts. 75% of newly professed religious reported that both parents were Catholics, so having a, a Catholic mom and dad is important. Um, 28% they said they have a relative that's a priest or religious. Uh, 74, or 71% are white, 13% Asian or Pacific Islanders, 7% African American, and 5% Latino. And uh, let's see, I'm going to go down here. This is interesting. 25% of newly professed religious had graduate degrees when they entered religious life, and 75% had bachelor degrees. So higher education is a factor as well. Now, by my calculations, 25% plus 75% is 100%. So 100% of new religious have college degrees. Now, I'm not entirely sure that's a good thing. You know, did they all give up lucrative careers or uh, advanced degrees no longer a guarantor of employment, or is it now requisite among U.S. religious orders? I'm just curious because it seems like a, um, an interesting factor. Um, and 11% of them had to delay entrance in order to pay off their student loans, which isn't uh, surprising because I know that uh, entering a religious order means that you need to be debt-free. Uh, it's also interesting that only 14% participated in World Youth Day. Only 10% went to a Franciscan, of Su- uh, Franciscan University of Steubenville conference when they were in high school. Only 7% took part in um, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. So, you know, assuming no overlap, that's still uh, less than a third that participated in these, in these high-profile outreaches. Um, let's see. But, but the, 
big common thing is that 80% took part in Eucharistic adoration and 69% regularly prayed the rosary. And there's also um, an interesting uh, uh, numbers for a different reason. It says 12% reported that a priest discouraged them from entering religious life. 36% that their mother did. 53% that their father did. 29% they were uh, discouraged by some other relative. You know, and I understand there's concerns about religious life today that we didn't have in the old days, but, uh, but that's kind of disturbing. Uh, let's see, what else? Um, okay, all these statistics, you know, uh, regarding last year's newly professed religious in the United States. It's a country of over 50 million Catholics, right? And you just heard all these numbers, 75% this, 68% that. All the numbers but one, and that's the total number of newly professed religious uh, in the U.S. in 2020, which was, drumroll please, 172. 75 women and 97 men. 50 million Catholics, less than 200 professions, 200 vocations. You know, and that's why I believe that religious vocations are what Our Lady of Good Success was talking about when she said there would be almost no virgin souls. And the average age of these vocations is almost 40. And what about the generation that's coming up that have been raised on 24-7 media and smartphones? See, Our Lady said innocence would almost no longer be found in children. And you know, because of smartphones, the average age of uh, a child being exposed to hardcore pornography is 11, and some as young as 8 or 9. And Our Lady of Fatima said that more souls go to hell for sins of the flesh than any other reason. And if that was true in 1917... How much more today? And that's also consistent with the message of Our Lady of America. She said, U.S. Catholics must imitate her purity. And the final apparition of Our Lady of America to Sister Mary Ephraim was December 20th, 1959, which coincidentally is the day I was born. But who in 1959 could have uh, predicted the depths of depravity into which our culture has fallen in the intervening 61 years? Well, Our Lady, that's who. Because not just in 1959, but as far back as 1599, um, you know, she, she was aware of this and called us to imitate her purity and the virtues of the Holy Family of Nazareth as a cure for a country drenched in sexual perversion. You know, I found uh, Our Lady's call to imitate the Holy Family and to receive the graces obtained through her intercession to be absolutely consistent with her messages to Mother Mariana when she appeared as Our Lady of Good Success and predicted our current situation 400 years ago. I mentioned earlier in the program, she told Mother Mariana in the 1600s that devotion to her in our days would be a great consolation to the faithful because, she said, I am queen of heaven under many invocations. And that's why I think it's important for Catholics today to respond to the messages given by Our Lady uh, to the Catholics of the United States, especially now, when Catholicism is being so badly misrepresented by the likes of Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and John Kerry and their accomplices in the mainstream media. And the program that Our Lady of America brings to us promises us the graces to reject the temptations of our time and to give us emphasis on certain church teachings which are the antidote for the pervasive sins of today. And, and given today's almost unbridled sexual immorality, one could conclude that that's, uh, you know, the, her, the, the focus of her message, the entirety of her message on purity. But it's more than that. 
so much more than that. And sexual purity, of course, is among the things that she asked, but it's total purity of heart and mind that she calls us to. She calls us to the purity of thought and action and sacramental life that results in the ultimate purity, which is sanctifying grace. That's the struggle, to, to die in a state of sanctifying grace. That's, that's how you win the prize. That's the happy ending. That's the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. That is the good success, and that is no nonsense. All right, thank you so much for being with us again uh, this week here on No Nonsense Catholic. Great to have you along with us. By the way, I know that the vast majority of people who listen to this program, even though we stream it live on the app and we stream it live on YouTube, um, more than 90% of the people that listen to this program listen via podcast at their own convenience at some later time. So anytime that I say something here that, uh, that you would like more clarification on, or if you have any kind of question or comment, do not hesitate to, uh, I mean, you, call, you can always put a comment on YouTube or whatever, but uh, I, I invite you to email me. My email is matt, M-A-T-T, at matthewarnold.org. Matt at MatthewArnold.org. You can uh, email me directly, and I'll be happy to, uh, to address your question, either personally or perhaps on the air. And, of course, I always retain people's anonymity. I never say anybody's name on the air or anything like that. Uh, it makes a, an interesting part of the show, and it helps me uh, in my apostolate to, uh, to serve you better. And so I invite you to do that. Also, you can visit uh, some of my other websites, maryofgoodsuccess.org where you can learn more about Our Lady of Good Success and her uh, messages for our modern times and the restoration of the church. You can also visit nonsensecatholic.com. So uh, go uh, to No Nonsense Catholic and uh, I've got a bunch of stuff posted there and more coming all the time. So uh, until next week, I want to say thank you so much for listening, but also especially for those of you uh, who have uh, gone to the trouble of supporting us, not only with your prayers, but also financially. I just want to say how greatly we appreciate that and, and encourage you, if you have the means, uh, to become a monthly donor. I don't do a lot of fundraising on this program, but honestly, it is the monthly donations that keep us going, that keep the light bill paid, and that, that make it possible for us to plan on upcoming events, to have some idea of uh, you know what we're working with, and uh, that's why I was able to announce today that we've got uh, many conferences in the works uh, for already for April and May of this year. So more on that when the information becomes available. In the meantime, uh, don't hesitate to keep listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Be sure to download the app onto your smartphone, and until next time, may God richly bless you and your family.